All right, this morning we look to First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and we are looking at verses uh, 1 to 5 particularly. I did want to read a portion of, uh, uh, I wanted to read actually chapter 2 in its entirety this morning for you, uh, 16 verses, uh, to kind of give us an understanding of what it is we'll be discussing this morning. First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, This morning's sermon is entitled, The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. As simply put, because that is what Paul is trying to explain. That is uh, who he is trying to point the Corinthians to. And that is uh, because of the conflict that is in between, uh, that we're in between in this particular context. He is trying to grant to the Corinthians not only an understanding of the spirit, but that they would rely upon the spirit of God uh, to do what it is God has for them to do. And so Paul, in this particular text, we'll focus more of our time on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. But Paul tied... The, rel- the reliance on the spirit of God, uh, on the spirit of God, in the area of proclamation and testimony, he tied those two things together with the reliance upon God's spirit, because he recognized that uh, first it was how the conflict that was brewing in the church would be resolved. So he's tying this reliance on the spirit of God in the areas of both proclamation and testimony to limit the conflict. To eliminate the conflict if if possible. But it was also that the conflict would uh, would 
not only be limited, but the people would be reconciled if they recognize the work of Christ and their salvation, the wisdom of Christ and the wisdom of God as expressed in Christ Jesus himself, but also their need to rely upon the spirit. So what he wanted was he wanted the people to be reconciled together and he wanted them to be reconciled together because there had been fraction. There had been schism and that was tied directly to them identifying themselves with uh, personalities that they themselves exaggerated and exalted. And so it was Paul's uh, it was also Paul's desire. Listen to this. It was also Paul's desire, especially in this context, for the Corinthians not to develop a personality cult around Paul or the others. So he pointed them to the fact that he himself relied upon God alone and his power. Paul then he identifies and he identified where the power of God could be found. So it wasn't simply a blanket statement that he said, I'm relying upon the spirit and power of God. Instead, he's saying, I'm relying upon the spirit of, uh, of God and of God's power and of his wisdom as seen in the word of God and the testimony of Christ. And so Paul goes to, as I've said, the area of proclamation and of testimony. Paul did not come to them as a philosopher and he did not come as the philosophers came to them. Paul did not rely on speech theory. He didn't rely on eloquence. He didn't rely on rhetoric or some sense in which he believed he he possessed superior wisdom over what they were able to attain. So Paul didn't rely on any of those things. But you can see that the people were relying on those things. And so the people relying on those things as they have were beginning to drown out the work of Christ. They were beginning to limit the work of the spirit. They were beginning to, quite frankly, become bored with Paul. You'll see that later as these super apostles develop, quote unquote, and they begin to challenge Paul himself. And they begin to look at Paul and say, we disagree with you on the point that you're not like the philosophers. And so they want Paul to fit within the world's construct. They want Paul to borrow from the world's construct. They want Paul to uh, to amalgamate or to place in very close relationship the world's philosophical system and all the fleshly uh, excitement that that brings uh, to man's mind. They wanted him to mix that with uh, God's power. And Paul says it's impossible. And Paul is showing them that when you do that, all you have is schism. All you have is fracture. All you have are personality cults. But Paul tells you how he came to the Corinthians. And I'll tell you, everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who follows Jesus Christ comes to the Christians this way. Paul said, I came to you solely testifying in verse one about the power of God. That's all I've come to do. Look at verse one. He says, when I came to you, when I came to you. So the Paul that you invented in first Corinthians chapter one, verse uh, verse 12 is not the Paul, the apostle that is about to be introduced to you in this particular verse, because they had raised up a, con a constructed Paul, an imaginary Paul in their minds. But what Paul says is, when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. 
What he's saying is I didn't mix the world's system, the world's wisdom with the testimony. I just brought the testimony. And he says, even in verse two, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he came solely testifying about the power of God. He eliminated everything that would get in the way of the testimony and the proclamation of God and his power. Paul wanted nothing to do with it, and he wanted them to have nothing to do with it. Paul is not saying he chose the testimony of God instead of the wisdom of God. He's not saying that. He's not saying it as though it's a fool's errand that he chose. He is saying he chose the height of wisdom. He chose the height of wisdom. You this morning are sitting before the height of wisdom, not because it's me, but because I refuse to do anything except open up the word of God and explain it to you. I refuse to do anything except to proclaim Christ and his power. I refuse to play with the text. So you are sitting this morning before the height of God's wisdom because all we are doing is looking at the power of God in his word. That's what we're doing. So many are bored with that, but that is what the power of God is, and that is how it is displayed among men. And so Paul says, when I came to you, I came that way. Everybody else is coming another way, but I came this way, and I was determined to come this way. I know what's out there. I know what they're doing. I know the fads. I know the trends. I know what excites the crowd. But Paul says, when I come to you, I come in the word. I come in the power of his word. And I refuse to do it another way. Painstaking refusal to compromise and to amalgamate the testimony of God with some philosophical attraction to get you to feel comfortable. Paul says, I'm not coming to you that way. And I'll be honest with you. You know why he doesn't come to him that way? Because he loves him. Because he loves the church. He loves the Corinthians. He refuses to diminish. And more than that, he loves God. So he refuses to come to them in some way that would excite them around his person. He is saying he has chosen the height of wisdom over the foolishness of men who try to appear to be wise. He chose the height of wisdom over the foolishness of men who try to appear to be wise. You think if Paul would have said from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 to where we are in our letter, if Paul would have said, you know what, it's okay. Let's develop the Paul faction. The people would not have been able to contain themselves with excitement. They would not have been, they were already doing it. They were doing it and he didn't ask them to do it. And you know also, listen to this, Paul also faced the criticism from the other factions, from the Apollos faction, from the Cephas faction, from the Christ faction. But Paul said, I'm not concerned with anything in that way. You know what I'm concerned with? I'm concerned with proclaiming simply the testimony of the power of God among the people. That's all I'm concerned with. That's all I want to do. That's it. And so Paul himself says, that's how I came to you. He's telling them straight up. This is the way that I came. It's not a secret. 
He's not trying to find some way in so that he can, you know, get them to listen to. He's saying, no, I came to you this way. This is what we do. This is how we preach. This is how I came to you. This is why we do what we do. He says, I came to you in the spirit and the power of God. I want God's power to be evident among you. I want God's power to be evident in you. So what then do I have to do? I have to proclaim to you the power of God through his word. Because that is what he uses to sanctify believers. But he's saying in verse two, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean Paul wasn't acquainted with the wisdom that these other individuals were trying to portray this worldly wisdom. He wasn't he wasn't unfamiliar with the philosophies of the world. He was very much familiar with them. But he said, I didn't come to you determined to know those things. And if I'm not determined to know those things, I didn't come to you determined to proclaim those things. What Paul had determined to know and to proclaim was the proclamation of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. That's what he had for them. He didn't come another way. In verse three, he says, I was with you. Listen to this. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but listen to this in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, there's a couple of things you and I have to think about. You have to ask yourself, am I being exposed to the power of God's spirit? Is it evident in the proclamation of God himself, because remember what the work of the spirit is. It is to take that which belongs to Jesus and to show it to you. That's what it is. So is that evident? And also is what I'm hearing simply the testimony and the power of God from his word. Those are things that you have to concern yourself with. Because Paul said, also, the way I came to you, I didn't come self-assured in some fleshly assurance. Paul did not come to them. Listen to this. Paul did not come to them polished for polish sake. He wasn't simply trying to be a polished speaker. A man skilled in appearance and first impressions. He did not come to them spilling over and brooding in self-assurance of rhetoric. Or even a polished, handcrafted public relations image. He came to them in this way. Listen to how he describes it himself. He came to them, he says, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, don't mistake what he says. Paul is not saying he fears them. He's not saying he's afraid of them. That when he stood before them, he was afraid to go before them. Instead, there is a sobriety that Paul has. Paul says, I'm not coming here to play. This isn't a game. And so when he stands before them, he is sober. And it is such a, a, a task filled with such what they say gravitas or such holiness like the prophets of old that Paul says, when I'm standing before you, even in writing this letter, I'm not coming to you playing games. I'm coming to you by testimony of Christ because I'm his 
And I'm coming to you to display the power of God and the power of the spirit. And we'll even look at even in that context with respect to the apostolic gifts that will be evident among the people in this particular era of church history. He's saying, I'm not coming to play. This isn't a game. And you're reminded of when Jesus essentially said you heard it when we were going through Matthew a few years ago when Jesus was talking about the marketplace. And essentially, if we can sum up everything that he said, I'm not trying to be trivial or trite. If we can sum up everything that Jesus said, he basically said all the religious leaders and all the people who follow them are playing games. And Jesus says, I haven't come to play. He pictured them as children in the marketplace, just idling away their time, just wasting time playing games. He says, I'm not playing games. Everybody else can play games if that's what they want, because that leads to destruction. I believe Paul is saying the same thing. I'm not coming to you playing whatever the spirit of the age game is to play. I know what the game is, but I'm not playing the game. I want to tell you. For one, I want to encourage you to pray for those who are not playing the game. I want to tell you that, but I also want to tell you, think about it this way. Those who aren't playing the game, don't assume they don't know the game. They know the game. They refuse to play the game. The game being to do anything that would cause an irreverence of Christ and lift up the reverence of man to where he ought not go because everybody's doing that. And to make you think somehow that that's good enough. That's the game. That man is now reverent in and of himself. That man ought to be worshipped. That a personality cult ought to be uh, around his person. That you ought to gauge whether a man is worthy of this calling based on outward appearance. Based on how he makes you feel. But Paul said, I'm not coming to you playing that game. I'm coming to you to proclaim the power and testimony of God's word. And not just as a static thing. God's word does something in the lives of people. It does something in his church. But I'll also say that God's word is evident because you see it in people's lives. Paul wasn't trying to establish a university or an academy, philosophically speaking, of people just following him around for years and years. And just they can't go further than him. Paul said, I want the power of God in you. My time here is limited. So I don't have time to play. You don't know how many times people have whispered to me to just play the game. Just play the game. You'll be rich. They'll love you. You'll fill the building. But I'm not here to play. I'm here to proclaim the power of God And the testimony of his spirit. And I'm here to see that it is demonstrated among his people. I'm not here to play. And I'll tell you what I love about the true Christians. What I love about the fellowship here. We're not here to play. We're not here playing. We can play. We know how to play. But we're not here to play. Because I know at any moment Christ can return and will return and he's going to judge every single thing that we've done here. And I don't want to play. I want to be able to show my king 
Lord, I did it this way because you told me to do it this way. And I did it that way and I obeyed you because I love you. It's not going to be well. I played the game because, you know, I just wanted to be popular. I just wanted to be liked. I wanted cameras in my face. I want to stand in step with Paul. I don't want to just talk about Paul. I don't want to hold seminars about Paul. I don't want to pretend that we that we have some connection to Paul when we don't. I want to, I don't want to talk about Paul as though he's uh, in some personality cult that they uh, tried to establish in Corinth. I don't want to say my favorite apostles, Paul. I want to say I imitated Paul because Paul told me to because Paul said he imitated Christ. And so when I came before you, I hope I sounded like I'm not an apostle. I hope I sounded like him. I hope that I gave you the wisdom of God that he gave. I hope you heard what he was saying to the Corinthians and not what I feel like I have to say. I hope that's what you heard. But listen, Paul did not come to them. He did not come to them polished for polished sake. He came to them. Not in fear of them, but in fear of God. So when he came, he was trembling. Already his outward appearance was beaten and broken down. He didn't look like the philosophers. But there was a sobriety to Paul. Paul was a sober man. And he was sober in his proclamation. He didn't have any silly jokes. He didn't have stage props. No heartwarming stories to get them to an emotional frenzy. He didn't come that way. He did not come to rival the power of God in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Jesus, but make sure that I keep referring to something that is uh, interesting about me so that you don't know the difference. He did not come in the fear of man. For then it would be pointless in the next section to warn them that they should be free from the fear of man. When he says I came in fear and trembling, the philosophers didn't come in fear and trembling. Because they are the source in their minds of their own salvation. They are the experts of their own philosophies. Paul said, I'm bringing you something from glory. I'm bringing something from heaven. And I'm pleading with you to stay away from the personality cultism, he says. So Paul didn't look like them and then rebuke them for looking like them. Paul said, I'm distinct. I'm set apart. I don't look like the philosophers. I don't act like the philosophers. And it's sad because what the people did was they said, well, since you don't, we'll make it look like you do. That's what's happening in the event with Chloe's people. Paul didn't say, go ahead and let's set up some factions. The people said, we'll set up some factions. Paul said, I didn't come to you that way. So why are you doing that? He came trembling before them. He came in weakness before them because, for one, listen to this. There was not any inherent strength in and of himself anyway. He was not strong in himself. He was only strong in Christ. He'll continue to say that in this epistle over and over and over again. He did not come to impress them. Paul did not come before them to impress them. I can tell you, I'm not here to impress you. Praise God. I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to impress upon you the things that God has said. 
But I'm not here to impress you. Paul was not, none of the apostles came in this way. Paul wasn't there to impress them through some misplaced self-confidence and his ability to dazzle them with words. He didn't come that way. Superiority of speech. Trying to make them go, wow, the way you put those words together. Oh, man, the way that brother put those words. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear how he said it? Oh, let me go ahead and log on social media and quote him. Paul didn't come that way. He wasn't looking for quotables. He said, you know what I'm going to talk about? Jesus Christ and him crucified in the clearest and plainest of terms before the people. And listen, he says, I'm going to go to the brethren. He doesn't say I'm going to go to the philosophers. He says, I'm going to go to the brethren because he wants to strengthen the brethren so that the brethren can be strengthened in the time in which infiltration takes place. It was both and not either or. But he came to them in something much greater than the philosophers and orators and those who made a great showing in the flesh. This letter resonates with me. It resonates because I was trained in that. I was trained in great self-confidence and oration and rhetoric and philosophy. I was trained in that. But you have nothing. You have nothing if that is your identity. You're supposed to be coming to God's people and God's power. And I can't find God's power apart from the scripture and apart from what he has accomplished in the Christ that I'm supposed to be proclaiming. He came to them in something much greater. The philosophers were coming with just sages, fables, worldly rationale that when pressed and pressed and pressed is illogical to its core. Paul didn't say we don't use words, but he said the words I'm using are going to be divine. They're going to be from God, from Christ. And you're going to be able not only to repeat them, you're going to have the conviction to relay exactly what has been said so that we can lockstep. We're going to outnumber the philosophers, the spirit of the age. He came to them in the power of God. He says it in verse four. My message, he tells them, my message and my preaching, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. It was not, well, so-and-so said this, this evangelical leader said this, or this particular historian says this and this, and then you got to figure out where, okay, and on page this of this book, this person said this. I like the way that this theologian put it. I like the way this Puritan put it. And that the whole message is littered with what men think without telling you what God says. Paul says, I didn't come to you as the rabbis did. I didn't come to you as the philosophers did. Because I'm being honest with you, what's the difference? There is no difference between, in that sense... The Greek philosophers and the rabbis in Israel who were apostate. There's no difference. They were both bringing the same worldly wisdom and they were both tying flowery language around it. Quoting one another endlessly without showing you here's what the scripture says and here's what the scripture says to do. 
He came to them in the power of God. He came to them demonstrating the spirit of God was evident in himself as an apostle. And more than that, he came to them saying that the spirit of God was evident in them. Well, where am I getting that from? It's in the first couple verses in the greeting. He establishes that the spirit of God is in you. It's evident. It's why I refuse to come to you and play games. It's why I'm not messing around with your salvation. It's why I'm not trying to get you emotionally attached to me so much so that you can't live without me. It's why I want you to just come to the scripture. I want you to understand God's word because therein lies his power. Power for your sanctification. Power as you proclaim it for the salvation of others. Just power, eternal power. Day-to-day power that you need. And the power to understand the end times in a world that wants to distract you from it. Just endless power. I came to you proclaiming the power of God. You know that we're in a bad way, not us, but... Professing religion is in a bad way. Yes, you hear less of Christ. But I would also say that when someone really comes to you in the way that I'm saying, they are treated with such disregard when they come in just the power of God's word. And they just say, I, I, I just I just want to set before you scripture, the simple testimony of scripture then they are treated as though what they're doing is just so out of step with the modern age. But I'll tell you, I believe, even in studying this, I believe that we're confronted with a question. And I'm going to give you that question. The question is, why settle? Why settle? I'm not saying you are. And if you know someone who is, it's a good question to think about. But why settle? Why settle for the pragmatism of the world, that whatever works mentality? Our fellowship is kind of small, so why don't I just compromise and just play the game? Why settle? Why settle for the pragmatism of this world? Why settle when you have God's power already vested in his word and the testimony of it? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that to the church in Corinth. This is a church that he's talking to. Why then join yourself to her vain philosophers and her arrogant orators who want to pierce you with words and not pierce you with God's power? They don't want to see God's power vested in you. It's why they it's why so many who are speaking today, they don't want to see God's power. It's why they speak about everything except God's power. Or they try to make it seem as though God is powerful in some act that has nothing to do with his word. And this is what Paul says about them. And this is what I say about them. Look at verse five. Let's look at four. He says, first of all, not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of, of demonstration, not just proclamation, but demonstration. Of the spirit and of power. And then in in, uh, verse five, there's a purpose so that your faith, so that your faith, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. That's why we don't do it. That's why we don't we don't flirt with the wisdom of the world and bring it in here. 
That's why we don't proclaim the wisdom of the world and try to pretend that somehow it has something to offer the superior wisdom of God. He says so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so what he's saying about them, and this is what I say to you, do not settle. Do not settle. I'm sure now or later people may hear this, I hope. Some may become infuriated because they think I'm talking about them. And I always say, if the shoe fits, but don't settle. You're settling. Don't get mad at me because you're settling. I'm not settling. I'm trying to encourage you not to settle. The world, the religious system, both the outwardly false and the modern evangelical churchmen, they want you to settle. They want you to settle. They want you to sit there Sunday after Sunday or every day. And they want you to make an exchange, a transaction where it's okay to blend God's wisdom with the wisdom of men. We'll just blend it together and we'll worship the guys who help us do that. They want you to settle. And I'm not just talking about one place. I'm talking about everywhere this is to be found. Don't settle. They don't want the demonstration of God's power in his word in you and working among you. They don't want that. Well, how can you say they don't want that? Because if they wanted it, they would do it because it says here to do it. If I'm saying I'm a preacher, if I'm saying I'm a Christian, then all of the imperatives, the commands that I have should be commands that are found in Scripture to you. It shouldn't be I'm saying I'm a Christian and I'm preaching things that have nothing to do with the text. Or I'm telling you to do things that, ha- that can't be found in the word of God. They don't want the testimony of Jesus Christ and him crucified to have its day. They see weakness in that. They want you to see them as kings. They want you to see them as kings reigning over their kingdoms, reigning over their kingdoms. That's what they want you when they don't do that, when they don't testify about the power of God and his word. And they're skilled in having you have your faith rest in the wisdom of, of men. They want you to see them as kings. Paul's going to say that later. He says that about the super apostles because the super apostles were guilty of this. They were guilty of this. The factions ended and what took place is they just said, well, Paul, Cephas and Apollos and certainly Christ don't want factions. So let's just let's find some other men to raise factions. And they found them. They found them. The super apostles. Most of Second Corinthians deals with them. But men like that. They want to be kings. And Paul says that. Oh, I wish we were kings like you, that you would reign over us. Here we are suffering. Here we are being persecuted and mocked. And y'all are kings, rich, prestigious. Wow. I wish we could reign with you. And he's not saying that he truly does. He's showing them the foolishness of their kingdom, their paper castles. But what they want, they don't only want you to see them as kings reigning over their kingdoms. You are their pitiful subjects. You keep the kingdom going. I often hear people ask me so much. I mean this. And and I think they're sincere. Why? And there's people who are trapped in this stuff too. Why is such and such continuing? And I always tell them in some way, you're financing it. 
it's it's it continues because you give toward that. You finance it. You promote it. You quote it. That's why it continues. A parasite needs a host. Paul says as much in verse five, as I've said, the reason he came in the demonstration and the power of the spirit. Listen to this. It was to draw them away from the personality cults, to draw them away from the worship and wisdom of one another as the source and standard of their salvation and of their hope. It was to draw. He came in the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God, particularly the the power of the spirit, because if it's the demonstration of the spirit, it's the power of the spirit. But he came to draw men away from the wisdom of other men. That's what he came to do. So if I'm saying I, I like Paul, Paul's my favorite. I love the Pauline epistles. Then I'm thinking like Paul thought. Or I should be. He wanted to draw them to rest in the wisdom of God. I'm just going to be very blunt with you. That's what I want. I want your wisdom to rest in the wisdom of God. I don't want pragmatism. I want everything we do to be substantiated by the wisdom and power of God. The object and source of their faith needed to be in God, not men. So does yours. So does ours. It needs to be our our faith, our hope. It all needs to be in God, not men. But listen, I'm sure that Paul faced the criticism. I know he did. I know he did from studying this epistle. And I know speaking like him, you face the criticisms. People might say, well, your preaching is boring. It lacks intimate points of connecting people to your personality. It lacks a formal introduction about ice cream, family vacations, that joke you claim you told to your family and that claim you made that your your whole family laughed. Forcing you through oratory to concede that the word of God is only a small part of the testimony. They're forcing you to do that. They're forcing you to think that all the neat things that they have to say are not only related to the power of God's word, but somehow you have to make a trade off that when they finally get to God's word, that was just a small part. All the stuff I was telling you about me, that's the big part, because that's what everybody remembers. But I'm not here to impress or to draw you or anyone to my person, because listen to this. Your faith should not rest in me. Your faith should not rest in me. I will disappoint you. In and of myself, I will disappoint you. Your faith should rest in God. Because God will never disappoint you. And I serve him. And he's never disappointed me. Your faith should not rest in men. It should not rest in me. Your hope should not rest in me. I'm not a salesman nor a politician. I would say that we have to come to a place as Christians in this age, not just here in our fellowship, but as Christians in this age where we say enough of this, enough of this. We have to stop welcoming this kind of preaching. We have to stop welcoming this kind of action. We as a whole, everyone in this church age, 
who, who claim to be Christians. Because our preaching, our preaching, my preaching, it's in vain if I substitute God's power for the so-called power of men. It's in vain. The so-called churchmen today, they rebuke everyone but themselves for having a flimsy faith. They have all these things to tell you how to bolster your faith and rebuke you for your faith not being strong. But they should look no further than their own proclamation. Your faith, if it's weak, is strong because you're listening to them. It's weak because you're listening to what they have to say. And it won't become strong until you listen to those who bring the power of God through the proclamation of his scripture. You can't have a strong faith and listen to weak men. You can't have a strong faith and listen to weak proclamation. And when I say weak men, I mean men not having a sense of their weakness in Christ, but have a sense of their own strength. And yet they're weak. They rebuke you. They come down on you. Your, your faith is your faith is weak and they, and they, they just they crush you. But they never look at their own preaching. They never look at their own lives. If your faith is weak, they're the first ones that sold you a weak faith. They're to blame. People's hope. Listen to this. People's hope will rest in whom you preach. People's hope will rest in whom you preach. If I begin to just. Wax eloquent about all the evangelical rabbis. Your faith will rest in them. And when they fail, and they will fail, you will then be in despair because they have failed you. But if I proclaim the triune God, Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and his work of pointing us to Christ, and his work of assurance... And sealing us until the day of redemption. And Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords at the end of the age. And God the Father as the one whom we find working in the lives of the nation of Israel. And even in the lives of the church and the creation. And all of, if I begin to proclaim those things to you, who do you think your faith will rest in? It will rest in God. Assuming one has the new nature. Because Paul is going to get to that next. I could proclaim all those things, and if you're not born again, you have no use for them anyway. People's hope will rest in whom you preach. And it's why you see endless people. You can tell that they have a faith in a faction they established. And the leader of that faction is someone in whom they have established. Their sense of God's power, their sense of God's power the people, it's going to rest in either Christ or some icon you place before them. It's going to rest in Christ or some icon you place before them. That's what Paul is after. So Paul says, instead of preaching Apollos and Cephas and saying, man, these are dear brothers and blah, 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 and all the things that people say to try to exalt other men around them. Paul says, uh, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to show you Christ. Hey, let's get back to Christ and him crucified because he's the one I want you to worship because he's risen. So if I talk about his crucifixion, I have to I have to acquaint you with his resurrection. If I talk about his person, I have to start from eternity standpoint. 
And I have to go through the covenants. I have to show you where Christ was working and the spirit was working. And then I have to bring you through the church age. Then I have to bring you to the end of the age. How in the world is that boring? But so many believe it is. Because they're placing icons before people. Paul wanted the Corinthians to see that God's power need not to rest in men. That's what he wanted. That's what we want. I don't, I don't, want, your, I don't want your sense of God's power to rest solely in men. I don't want that. You will be confused. You'll be in despair. You'll be frustrated. This life has trouble of its own. Because, listen, men, men are not the source and object of your faith in him. Paul says as much. He says, I, I, I want your faith to rest in the power of God. I want your faith to rest in the power of God. God did not so love the believers that he gave them several earthly sons. He, he, he so loved the believers that he gave his only begotten son. And so Paul came to them in the name of Jesus Christ to place them before true power and true wisdom in the face and person of Christ. So that what? They can leave here and go out and do likewise. I don't want you around me 24-7 for this purpose. You have to go out there and you have to show people God's power and his wisdom. You have to. I don't want a cult. I don't want people to just be around me all Sunday. I love the fellowship. But our fellowship should lead to action. And that's what Paul wanted. Paul says, go out. Live these things. Proclaim them. You don't need cameras giving proof to people that you did it. Just go live it. God sees. God sees what you're doing because you're doing it in him, through him, for him and by him. But listen, I say this last. He wanted this. This is so beautiful how this wraps up and how it continues in this passage. He wanted it in them so that Christ would work in them through this power and wisdom. That's what he wants. He doesn't want them to just be advocating for Christ. That's a part of it. But he also wants them to see Christ's power in them. He wants them to see God's wisdom in them. If I proclaim some earthly ruler's power or some earthly leader's power, and that's all I do. So-and-so says this. So-and-so says that then you have to rest in their feeble power and in their feeble wisdom. And that's all you'll have to proclaim to everybody else. Who can be saved in that climate? But since we have the power of God and of Christ, we must proclaim Jesus Christ crucified. Let's pray.